We've all heard some great lawyer jokes. Trust us, we've heard them, all of them. But without sounding too adversarial, lawyers are humans too. In fact, that's the main theme of this podcast. Welcome to The Human Lawyer, the time and place where we have conversations with lawyers focusing on the intersection of the existential and the practical. Ann Groninger leads the Charlotte Lawyer Way in bike and outdoor enthusiasm. Her practice marries a passion for advocating for individuals and for bike family culture, especially, especially interested in representing victims of bicycle crashes. Anne is a trial attorney by experience, which is owed in part to her formative years at Cumberland County Public Defender's Office. Her criminal defense experience includes the first case to go to a North Carolina jury on an individual's ineligibility for the death penalty due to an intellectual disability. Once transitioning to private practice, Anne developed a practice that has since grown into bike law, serving bicyclists throughout the country. And presents to bicycling groups and clubs about uh, rights and responsibilities. She is a regular participant and presenter at the annual North Carolina Bicycle Summit. In life, and as a member of a local women's bike race team, she has written a ride guide for bicyclists, motor vehicle drivers, police officers, and anyone interested in understanding North Carolina's rules of the road as they pertain to bikes. Anne's life goal is to make riding safer and more enjoyable. More enjoyable. She also, according to the internet, loves Utah. Perhaps there's <laughs> not a better place uh, to be enthused about the outdoors than Utah, a place known for its skiing, hiking, and seasonal opportunities. Today, we explore the what, where, when, how, and why of Anne's outdoor enthusiasm. Welcome to the Human Lawyer Podcast. Thank so, you. Appreciate appreciate your inviting me. Uh, well, I guess the, I would suppose the thanks goes to Melissa for introducing us. So, if you're a friend <laughs> friend of Melissa's or known by her, you've got to be interesting. She's not friends with boring people. Uh, no. And so, and so, but she's not boring. <laughs> no, she, she's not. Uh, uh, I guess the first place we'll start. I saw on Instagram. A lot of Utah, a lot, a yeah. lot of Utah picks, and uh, I'm curious how you got connected there and how often you're able to uh, travel there. Yeah, well, um, I have a family connection in Utah. My husband is from there. His family's all there, so we we found ourselves, and we both love the outdoors. We love biking of all sorts, and uh, love skiing and just being outside. So we found ourselves going there a lot and ended up uh, getting a place out there. And then I thought, well, you know, why not also be licensed out here? So I'm licensed now in Utah and North Carolina and started at Bike Law Utah, which um, I'm getting there. North Carolina keeps me busy and marketing is always a lawyer's last <laughs> uh, time commitment after, you know, um, helping our clients and doing our work that has to get done. Marketing always takes the back seat, and it's certainly done that in Utah, but I have um, met a few Utah clients and look forward to doing more work out there as well. But I'm also still very committed to North Carolina and, and everything that I do here. And I don't expect to cut back on that at all. But um, I feel like this timeline is from memory, but I feel like you started in private practice maybe in the late 90s. Uh, yes, well... Uh, I, I was licensed in uh, 1995 and 
Um, I initially went to work for a uh, public defender's office in Fayetteville. And I guess, oh, I guess that's true. I guess I left there in 1998. And uh, I don't know if anybody uses this phrase anymore, but I hung out a shingle, <laughs> meaning I opened my own practice. This kind of shows my age there um, until about 2000. And then I went and joined a firm in, in Raleigh, which evolved over time into my current practice. So, and I feel like, especially Charlotte's relationship with um, bicycling is, is at least having talked to those enthused and avid in that space, we have, we have like a, we're not always kind to people who ride bicycles. Uh, yeah. uh, people sort of routinely get hit by cars on Selwyn um, and the like. And so- On Selwyn? Yes. Yes, Selwyn is a good spot, yeah. Um, so I'm just curious, like you've been in this space for a long time, like do you see um, the perception and sort of safety of bicyclists being more important in Charlotte? Yeah, I'd say it's definitely more important. Uh, you know, it's hard for me just looking from my perspective to see progress because I do, you know, because of the work I do. So I see the same things coming my way. But, uh, you know, in terms of the effort that's being made and the uh, progress for, you know, infrastructure and, and the desire for it, I think there's some there's improvement there. You know, all of the studies show that the more people who ride, the safer riding is. And so I think there's a lot of efforts to get more people on bike and certainly the pandemic helped that. Uh, and uh, you know, hopefully those people that picked up bicycling in the pandemic haven't completely put their bike back in the garage or the basement and are still out, out riding. But, you know, we're slowly but steadily, you know, making progress with, um, you know, greenways and protected bike lanes. And, you know, there, there's debates about those. And, you know, we can talk about that if you want to. But um, the bottom line is that people who are new to bicycling and not experienced are going to prefer um, those things. And, and that'll, I say whatever gets people out on bikes is a benefit to the community. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear just the high level on the debate about bike lanes and such. But I, I, before we go there, you, your comments sort of reminded me about my behavior during the pandemic. And at the time, we were living in uptown Charlotte, and um, riding your bike in uptown was glorious. No one was there. Uh, like, Everywhere in Charlotte, it was amazing. Right, fair, fair enough. Uh, I guess we're all prisoners, of, or at least I am, of my own experience. And I just remember being like, oh my God, this is amazing. I should just make uptown parlous because, like, it's just, I, was, I feel like it's very difficult to get around uptown anyway by car. So why, why try? So, anyways, um, I don't think that I ride as much now. Um, but back to bike lanes. What is the debate? What's the controversy, if you will? Well, there's, I'm, I'm going to give you the high level, but just know that there are gradations <laughs> of it. But I think the bottom line is that there is a, um, an argument, and I, I think it's a valid one, that there's a false sense of security uh, in the use of a bike lane and even a protected bike lane. Uh, and then there's also the idea that, uh, you know, the more bike lanes we create, that bicyclists are going to be relegated to those. Um, and I don't think, 
I mean, I think we have to fight that for sure. I think that's less of a concern. I think the safety concern is definitely there, but I, I think that is should be dealt with with more education and awareness rather than saying we're just not going to have them because I think there is you know a safety element we have to be careful about the design of them you know sometimes they're poorly designed in certain ways uh, and that poses a safety risk as well but I guess the bottom line is that I think it's good to have those things as long as they're well designed and the thought is put into them uh, and then educate people on the best way to use them. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I get it now. Uh, but, well, I'll just add to that there's, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, believe that, and, and I, I agree, you know, I think the roads are made for everyone. Uh, and that's historically true as well. And so bicyclists are allowed to use the road and should be allowed to use the road. And so that's the debate on, on the other side. But I don't think one takes away from the other. I think we should still be allowed to use the road and should still use the road. But there are situations where infrastructure is very helpful. Yeah. Uh, so that, that uh, kind of made me think of the debris that bike lanes, you know, sort of like the pebble, like the, the I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm riding too far. Maybe when I do ride in bike lanes, I'm too far towards the shoulder because then you get like the pebbles or the random, and then like I just have a fixed speed bike and it's uh, uh, small tires, so I don't like being there. Uh, so then mm -hmm. I'd be more inclined to then ride on the, like closer to the road or just on the sidewalk. But the sidewalk isn't very conducive because you've got like, uh, like drainage holes or I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot to think about as you ride and, and, you know, it's something I do all the time because of what I do. I'm riding around and I'm thinking like, oh, here's a thing, <laughs> you know, that so people should know about this uh, or this type of interaction. Um, but I really, you know, to anyone who's listening, who is a new cyclist or actually even an experienced cyclist, it's really always a good idea to take a safety course because uh, even if you've been biking for years and years, you may not know what some of the common uh, traffic interact difficult interactions are and the best ways to prevent them and you know or be thinking about where is somebody's visibility or, or their vision going as they're making a movement with their car you know that sort of thing and and so I, I know I have to be careful because I don't want to put all the burden on bicyclists to um, you know there's a lot of drivers out there who just aren't paying attention and, and of course if something happens it's all their fault but um, you know if you're looking down at your phone you're not looking at the road you're not going to see somebody on a bike no matter what they're doing they have a neon disco ball on their head or whatever um, but uh, but there are certain things that you know we can do to increase our odds of safety and every bicyclist should learn those things it's just you know helpful so you said something earlier about studies have shown like the more people that are riding, the safer it is. And yeah. so that that is news to me. So why why do you think that is? Well, um, a number of reasons. I think that um, you know, obviously, if someone once somebody becomes a bicyclist, uh, they become more aware naturally because they envision themselves being in the spot of, that a cyclist might be in. Um, and maybe they're probably their family members become more aware too. They see somebody riding on the road. Oh, that could be my parent or my child or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so 
so I think it's mostly an awareness um, thing. And, and then, you know, to some degree, maybe small degree, fewer people on cars. And I, I'm just guessing this because the studies that show that I haven't read about why <laughs> that's right. the case, but that's, that's what makes sense to me is just that, you know, more, more awareness about bicyclists being on, on the road. Um, and then just it being, you know, if I'm a driver and I don't ride and I see one bicyclist a month and I might not be looking out for bicyclists that much, but if I see, you know, several bicyclists every day on my way to work, then I, my brain realizes that, uh, okay, this is something that's going to happen and I need to keep a lookout for it. I can't, you know, even look down at my phone for a second because somebody might suddenly be there. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. kind of a habit, habit issue as well. That makes sense. Are, well, you mentioned ski. Have you have you ever, or are you interested in representing uh, people that have been in ski accidents? Um, I haven't really thought about that. And and I, you know, if somebody came to me, I would take a look at it. I know that there are very very strong waivers, um, and uh, you know, I also it's hard to, this, this is a, a whole topic just on its own, but, you know, there are certain things that I, I guess, okay, when I go out on my bike, uh, I'm aware of the possibility that, you know, I might just fall or I might hit, a, um, I don't know, a stone in the road or something like that and lose control of my bike. Like that's part of the risk of bicycling. Being hit by a car shouldn't be part of the risk of bicycling. Um, similarly with skiing, you know, there's, uh, I know that when I go skiing, there's a risk that I'm going to hit something and crash. And you know, that's just part of the sport. Um, but if the ski area does something that's just really negligent, um, that, you know, causes my fall outside of the normal realm of skiing risk, you know, then that's something potentially I, I would look at, but uh, I, I've got to look carefully at any of these cases to see, um, what the you know what the possibilities are i suppose so anyway as you can tell i haven't really thought that much about skiing yeah, no, <laughs> skiing crashes you know probably a lot of the a lot of the danger there is um being hit by other skiers or other or, or snowboarders that that's sort of where my mind was going because i feel like um i share a i guess maybe passion might be too strong word i really like skiing uh, okay. what, what, what I've learned or observed is one, like most things post pandemic, it's way more expensive. Um, uh, it feels like way more popular, but I also feel like because so much money is in skiing or like, that's just, it's a rather expensive hobby. You got people of means who like, if they get hit by someone else, they're going to look to that other person to write the wrong and I it just um I there I heard of a, someone suing an individual and they they triggered coverage under their homeowner's policy which was somewhat news to me mm -hmm. and I was like yeah I was like wow okay this is like a whole other body of law whole other area of practice that probably and then of course when you're in, in out west in Denver you know probably you tell us what well, you see billboards of people say get hit skiing call me 
So. You're not going to see me. You're not going to see me on a billboard. All right. All right. <laughs> um, Fair enough. You know, to your to your point, um, a lot of what we do, the, the point of it is, in the long term, is prevention, right? So, uh, you know, I I want to make the road safer, and I suppose if if I encounter a situation where somebody's injured by somebody else at a ski area just being a irresponsible jerk, you know, bombing down the mountain that they should. Or, you know, um, doing something that they shouldn't be doing that's just uh, egregious, then, you know, that's certainly something that person needs to learn and other people need to learn that you can't do that because you're putting other people's lives at stake. So I've certainly been in that situation. I've actually chased a guy down (laughs) after he came like inches from my son, who's this little kid skiing and this guy's bombing down the mountain, Uh, chased him down and, you know, he didn't really have anything good to say to me. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, you. You both caught him and you reprimanded him. So he, he, <laughs> yeah. that's one thing about skiing, skiing fast down a mountain. If you're all going at the same spot, you're going to find each other. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know that it did any good, but I felt better. <laughs> um, so another thing that occurred to me or was on my mind prepared for this episode is you. Uh, sort of an early adopter of what, what I guess I would characterize as like a niche-based law practice. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, well, there's a lot of angles to go here, but perhaps take Lawyers Mutual and, and those folks kind of in the, both the insuring law professionals and then like a wellness conversation will argue that perhaps those lawyers who have a more focused practice have better balance and um, perhaps enjoy their practice more. And so is the first question is when did you um, when did you first like commit to wanting to just focus on bike law and advocacy and the representation around that? Well, the minute that I had the opportunity to do it, I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> and that was uh, almost 20 years ago now, um, I can't take credit for the idea. Um, Peter Wilborn is a, was a lawyer in South Carolina at the time. He's in Florida now and uh, still practices in South Carolina and Maryland and uh, Virginia, D.C. as well. Um, in any case, um, he founded Bike Law as a result of his brother being killed in a bike crash. And uh, we met a few years later after he founded it and started Bike Law North Carolina, and then since expanded into a few other states. But uh, I knew I had done personal injury cases, but I was also was doing other other work as well. I was still dabbling in criminal defense, and um, I knew the minute that I heard about this that it was for me because I was already very much into bicycling, very passionate about it. Um, I became it was sort of a chicken and egg thing. Became more involved in the community, the bicycling community because of my involvement in bike law. And, uh, you know, I just, I never looked back. It's just something that I've always loved. And, you know, I've, I've loved riding a bike my entire life. And I really got into it in full force when I picked up mountain biking after, you know, sometime after law school, and then I got into road bicycling. Uh, so it was just, it was just a no brainer. <laughs> when you're on a race team, right? No, that's so yeah. outdated. I'm so uh, sorry. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I did. So, I did race. I did race cyclocross for a few years, 
I've done some mountain bike racing. I mean, I'm not really a racer. I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy some races just because of the, I don't know if you've ever been to a cyclocross race and sometimes the mountain bike races, is, but the cyclocross races are very conducive to crowd enjoyment because they just go around in circles and there's obstacles that, you know, they make the racers look kind of stupid <laughs> falling over them and things like that. Um, and so it's just a really fun atmosphere and I always enjoyed that and just a little bit of, you know, having a challenge or whatever, but, and then I had some friends who also, you know, were supportive of bike law and they still are, but, um, not a lot of them are racing. I don't know if any of them are racing anymore. So sorry, that's a little bit outdated, but I did enjoy that in the past. <laughs> no worries. Uh, so I haven't been to any races, but I know that, uh, summer racing or well this is like the uniform what y'all call the kit like what uh -huh. what thing i feel like kits are uh i don't like avid cyclists love a kit uh yeah. love a good one love a good so what sure. like what's the is it is it the comfort is it the look that like is it because I've never worn one. And so like, what is, what is so special about a good kit? Yeah, it's all of that. I mean, it's really, if you're doing any kind of distance on a bike, it's an absolute necessity for not only comfort, but avoiding extreme <laughs> discomfort. <laughs> um, <laughs> something called chafing, you know, with repeated pedal revolutions, things like that. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's mainly a comfort thing, but, uh, you know, people that care about speed, it's also more aerodynamic. Um, and then a lot of times it's just kind of camaraderie, you know, clubs will have kits and all go out and ride together and match. Uh, so it's just kind of a, you know, kind of like everybody getting the same t-shirt to wear to a race or, you know, that sort of thing. Um, shows your shows your affiliation or your allegiance to a team or a product or a service or you know for us it was it was bike law and you know there have been a number of people that said i mean all over the country it's actually pretty cool uh that there's people that race and people that just ride all over the country that buy our kit um, because they want to spread the word about what we do so um yeah, there's a lot of different reasons for the kit, but you really can't ride any long distance without one. That that is way cool. What um um let me ask this. Oh, one more question on kids. Uh they're rather expensive, or I think. Uh and so what what makes them like is it the material or is it like, is it uh, the design? I guess so I'll, I'll really showcase my ignorance. I, I guess a part of me thinks <laughs> of, a, it's of a kit, like, you know, you could buy um, workout pants from Lululemon or you could buy them from Target and perhaps there's a price variance there. And But I don't know if there's a more accessible version of a kit or if like, if you're in the kit game, you're just committed to be like, uh to pay a certain amount yeah i mean it's a little bit of it's not as i would say it's not the same as the target versus lululemon thing because you know you can or i don't 
I'm not a yoga person, so maybe yoga people would argue with this, but I would think you could do yoga in whatever pants, you know, you could find that are stretchy enough um, and breathe. So, but, you know, maybe that's wrong. In And as far as bike kits go, you kind of get what you pay for. And there's extremes on both ends. I mean, sometimes you can find a um, cheap kit that's great and lasts a long time. And sometimes there's a really pricey one that's not any better than anything else. But to a great degree, you do get what you pay for and you're paying for uh, technology, you know, the different, different fabrics and not just fabrics, but the stitching, the panels, how they're put together, seamlessness, the less chafing, mm. um, the, you know, aerodynamics, I guess, of the fabric, the breathing of the fabric, uh, the design, uh, the, you know, technology investment that goes into that sort of thing. And, you know, I've had the whole gamut of cheap to expensive kits and the comfort level is really noticeable as is the durability. So, you know, you can get something cheaper, it just might not last as long. And, you know, that's maybe fine depending on what you're looking for. Sense. Um, how about your husband and do you just have one son? I have one son and a stepson. Yeah. A stepson. So how yeah. do, where do they fit in the, uh, bike enthusiasm? Well, my son is a, um, baseball and basketball player. He will tolerate a mountain bike ride with me if we're in Utah <laughs> and, uh, and he loves to ski. He does love to ski. So, um, and he, he's just a, a sports guy. He does an NFL analysis every week. Uh, he's really into the stats and everything. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I can, we, we do enjoy some mountain biking together. So that's great. And any, you know, we'll ride to, we also ride around town. So if we're going to go out to breakfast or something, we'll, we'll ride bikes. Um, my stepson is uh, in college now. I don't think he does, has time for much of <laughs> anything, but he, he's a great skier and uh he, he's just an athletic guy all around as is my husband so um but yeah I mean we rarely take a vacation where we're not doing something active some uh biking or, or skiing usually biking yeah I um um well a couple well one thing first so since we're getting close on our uh, time together I saw in your Instagram story at the, I guess it was your son uh, he was like uh, putting out his analysis or his, his pitch. Yeah. For, for, <laughs> so, uh, but he's I, great. I he's a way better speaker than I am. I didn't, but I just saw it. I didn't uh, listen to it. Um, so, what are what are some of the types of things he's analyzing and uh, projecting? <clears throat> he goes well. He's in the fantasy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, he goes through uh, the games. The upcoming games of the week and makes predictions on what's going to happen based on what players are in or out who's doing what he he knows pretty intimately the because he studies it all the time um you know the strengths and weaknesses of each quarterback running back you know whoever and um you know he'll analyze the game based on who's who's bringing what to that particular game. And then he advises people on their fantasy picks, things uh, of that nature. I'm uh, told he's very good. I don't, don't know a ton about, I mean, I enjoy watching football games, but I don't know anywhere near the level that, <laughs> that he does, but I'm told that he's pretty good at it. Yeah. 
Uh, I have a heart for that and for his work. I remember as a kid, I'd go visit my dad and he, uh, he had a motorhome and we would go to Clemson games. And, uh, oh, <laughs> and I would, uh, I would like study in the media guide and, uh, and, and like tell people, tell his friends, uh, what to expect at the game. And I was like, you know, five or six years old. And I just, I, I was obsessed with, uh, stats and such. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's great. Cool. Um, but, uh, thanks. All right. So, Maybe this will be one of my last questions. As I said, I'm not, not an avid bike bicyclist, but I do love skiing. And one of what avid bicyclists will say who also ski is like the closest approximation to skiing is cycling. Um, and um, one of the things that I love about skiing is that I don't really unplug incredibly well, but when I'm skiing, all I'm thinking about is getting down the mountain or getting down the mm -hmm. run or whatever. And I'm um, curious if that's, if you have that same type of experience cycling. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. It's interesting. I've, I've thought about that actually. Um, and uh, I would say yes, when I am mountain biking, um, I'm really thinking about, I'm just really focused on the trail and and, and mainly from cross-country mountain biking. So there are times where, you know, say I'm doing a, an hour and a half long climb, I'll probably think about other things. But if I'm, you know, swooping through turns and or bombing down a hill or something like that, I'm thinking about the ride. Um, on a road bike, I'm obviously I'm paying attention to traffic and what's around me, but in, you know, as you, settle into a long straight haul on your bike. Uh, if I'm riding with friends, I might be having conversations or I'm, you know, might be thinking about other things going on in, in the world. So I think certain types of mountain biking take a different type of mental focus, probably a little bit more like skiing where you're always thinking about this bump or this debris coming up or something like that, that you know, and, and really focus. There's so many different movements in skiing, right? Yeah. Um, and and it, I don't know about you, but it took, I, I learned as an adult and it took me years to put them all together. <laughs> so, um, and I still, I still have to think about them, uh, you know, if I'm on a really hard slope or trying to maneuver a lot of bumps or something like that, I'm, I'm always thinking and making adjustments and kind of like that with mountain biking, whereas road biking, it's, you know, the same movement, kind of repetitive, repetitive movement. And so your brain is free to kind of go in other directions as well. Yeah. Um, interesting. Oh, Good. Sorry. Yeah. I'm, I've got other people waiting on a zoom for me at 1030. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Let's, uh, Let's call it and say uh, thanks so much for um, sharing a part of your uh, story with us and um, sharing your passion for cycling. And we will um, follow you and uh, hopefully all the great things happen for you in Utah. And then you can be in both places just as well. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me.
We need to recognize that this is possible because of the hard work and support of the well-run media team. They make this easy. And speaking of easy, big thanks to Huga Coworking for access to their studio. And of course, the lawyers who agree to take time out of their busy, busy schedules to be here, even though we're sure they have better things to do. So thanks for saying yes.